Welcome to the Book of Mormon Central Come Follow Me podcast with your hosts, Lynn Wilson and John Cho. I am so happy to be here to talk about one of the greatest books in the Old Testament. Yeah. I love Malachi. Malachi. So three questions here. How does this bring me closer to Christ? How does the Book of Mormon help me understand the Old Testament? And how does this help me live a more Christ-like life? And I hope we can find lots of all three of those. I think one reason why Malachi is so beloved to us is because of the ties to the restoration that these prophecies yeah. were fulfilled in a way that we've seen in our Savior's enactment in these latter days, and it's just a joy. Malachi is last chronologically, um, mm. which is really helpful <laughs> because it's, you know, it's a hundred years after that remnant has returned from Babylon. They think it's probably about 450 years BC, give or take 20 years. Okay. And that um, it's at the very end of Ezra and Nehemiah, this time period. The area, though, after returning from Babylon, has become very lax in their covenant keeping. Mm. You know, they're just satisfied and they're no longer. Do you remember back in Nehemiah, he got mad about the marrying out of the covenant? Yep. And Malachi is saying the same things. Um, it's interesting to look at the name Malachi. It is very similar to the word messenger or messengers, and an angel is also Malachi. Mm. And I looked him up. We have a hundred times this Hebrew word, Malachi, is translated as either messenger or messengers, and a hundred and ten times it's translated as an angel or angels. Two times it's translated as an ambassador and also um, has been translated as my errand bearer. Mm. But I love this image that a, an angel is a messenger of God. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what a prophet is. And that's exactly what a disciple is. You know, and I remember a few years ago, Elder Holland gave a conference report on angels are those that come and help. And they can be on either side of the veil and you're still an angel. And I feel like when we are following our promptings to serve other people, when we ask for promptings to know who to serve, we become Malachi's. We are our messengers, Malak, Malak Yahweh. Mm. We are messengers of Jehovah. And we can be ambassadors for God as we follow our promptings. It's really quite motivating to me. Mm. But he's probably a contemporary of um, a very, very late Ezra and Nehemiah, and that would be in including of Zechariah and maybe even Haggai. Mm. Um, he's probably after them, but they probably overlapped a little bit. So that's exciting that he had some companionship in these calls. He's got an interesting organization. He has this series of, of disputes. He has seven disputes where he gives God's message, then he records the um, disagreement from the people of his period. I don't want to call them just Jews because it's lots of the different people, but they're, they, was, they were gathered there that uh, from the southern tribes uh, or the southern the people that were living in the southern kingdom. And then it gives God's responses. And this happens seven times. And in those seven times that this goes back and forth with this d disputing, we get these themes. And again, just like um, we read earlier, the fatherhood of God mm. comes back, just like in Genesis. You know, I love Genesis 1, 27, 20. I love Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that we are created in the image of God. Male and female created he them. And here at the end of the book, 
It's repeated again in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. But a theme that's mentioned often is this, if you return to me, I will return to you. Great hope. Another theme I saw was the failing of the covenant. The people have broken their covenants, and God will not give them the blessings if they're just going through the motions. And we heard the same message from our last week's prophets in Zechariah and Haggai. He gives a wonderful prophecy in chapter 4 on the messenger that's going to prepare the way before God. And I feel like we can see that being enacted in the first coming, in the second coming, and even by our Savior himself as the one who's preparing the way before his Father, our Heavenly Father. Um, Tithing is another theme here because he's stressing the need to care for the poor and then the beautiful prophecies that are fulfilled both in Malachi's time in the Savior's first and second comings. So any other background before we jump into the text? Uh, no, not on background, but I'm excited to jump into the text. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's so let's, many good things in start, such a short yeah. book. Start yeah. these seven disputes. And, you know, he starts out again with the same word that we've talked about before, this burden, this something that you have right. to lift up, this very difficult responsibility that he has to call people to repentance. And it's sort of hard. Chapter one has a few things that are a little tricky to understand, but he calls God's people to repentance. And he says, I've loved you. And this is just that first verses one through five in chapter one. And then the Jews disagree. How have you loved us? You know, <laughs> no, show it. I, we don't see that you're loving us. You know, we're still hungry. We're not living in castles. You know, we, we miss the, the choice foods back in Babylon or whatever they're complaining about. But God's response is, is hard to understand. I, I think he does say, you know, I chose you. I magnified you. But it uses this word that he hated Esau. That's a little hard to swallow because God doesn't hate anybody. What is this talking about? And I think just like Jesus uses an enormous amount of hyperbole in his parables— Jesus is always hyperbolic in right. these parables. You know, when you do the math and figure out how much money he's talking about, you know, no one is going to loan you the price of the entire gross national product, you know. Right. And yet those are the numbers that Jesus uses sometimes. So I think Jesus uses hyperbole, hyperbole as a shock value to get people to listen, to pay attention, you know. And maybe that's why he's using this, because even our Savior says, I want you to hate your father and mother. Right. In order to follow me, if needed. And so when he says he hates Esau here, I just take it in that level of, listen, I have taken care of you ever since your father, Jacob. And I haven't even taken care of all of the other siblings of the world, but I have treated you since for me, this is symbolic of the covenant, the same as the way we use Babylon or Syria or Palestine as oh, the world. Oh, that's nice. I hadn't put Esau in as the ways of the world. Yeah, I, I hate mean, the, the ways of, of the pottage, world. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the neglect of the covenant, even though you're born into it and so on. Oh, isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly their problem now, that he's yeah. likening them. Maybe, oh, that's, that's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second discussion or dispute starts in verse six. Yeah. And what's the question there? Do you find that? Priest, you despise my name. Yeah. And then they answer back, how have we despised your name? That's all in verse six there. And then in verse seven, he says, you know, you've polluted me. You've, you've, you've offered things on the sacrifice on the altar that are not your best. You're giving me your leftovers. You're giving me your sick and your lame. 
And I just look sometimes, am I, am I paying my tithing when it's difficult at the first of the month? Or am I waiting? And I, I, are my offerings half-heartedly? I see this is a good way to analyze our own tithes and offerings as we try yeah. to liken the scriptures to ourselves here. Well, I saw this as a reference to the to the sacrament for me personally, mm. right? Because Beautiful. it was really the name, the question about the name, because that's what we promised the sacrament is to take his name upon us. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the bread and the wine imagery. So and he my, says, my mind wherein went to the have yeah. we polluted thee? It is referring to the name yeah, of God Yeah, and so there. if you're taking the sacrament, are you really repenting every week? Is this mm-hmm. really sincere? Are you just there for habit, showing up? And it's not just the offerings of our means, but it's our offerings of our time and our energy. Yeah. As he asks in verse 11, are they pure offerings being offered? You know, is our heart pure and are the things of our hands? I think living in an agricultural environment where you had to give your very first fruits when you're hungry and you want that first tomato or whatever it yeah. is. And the Lord, obviously, they wouldn't have had tomatoes in that day and age in the ancient world. But you know what I'm saying. Um, the Lord is asking them, and I hope I can do the same in my offerings of giving him the best of my day, right when I'm alert in the mm. morning, give him my time on my knees and in my scriptures or whatever it works out to for you in your life. For me, I feel like first fruits is a beautiful image on how we can offer our tithings with more sincerity. Yeah. And then his next God's message starts in chapter two, verse one through 10 is the next one. Oh, priests, this commandment is for you. And, you know, he's <laughs> Rarely saying, is he so direct. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. He talks about them profaning the holiness and that they've married outside of the covenant. Yeah. And he's really upset about this because it then that means the children are not going to be able to receive the blessings that they need. And he, he says in verse 5, My covenant was with him of life and peace. And I gave it to them. Mm. I think this is especially poignant given this is these are the priests of Levi during a time of restoration of the temple, right? Yes, the temple is being rebuilt and he wants them to be pure to do the work. You're exactly these are right. The people, these are the people that that uh, that the rest of the nation looks to for guidance mm-hmm. and thoughts. So I can absolutely see why he's so upset with them. And I love in chapter um, 2, verse 5, this definition to look at what the ideal priesthood should be. It's Mm. a life of peace and service. Mm -hmm. And um, if we use the broader definition for priesthood, as our prophet has encouraged, any worthy disciple can have the application of Doctrine and Covenants section 84, the oath and covenant of the priesthood, Mm. if we're applying it right, then we all should, if we want the power of God in our lives, which is priesthood power, then we should seek the covenant, which is a covenant of life and peace. That's verse mm-hmm. five. It's really beautiful. And then he tells them that they're walking in iniquity. That's verse six. You know, yep. we want you to turn many away from iniquity. I want you to keep my knowledge. Verse seven. But in verse eight, he said, you've departed. You've corrupted the covenant. And the covenant meant so much. There was uh, and. It means the fatherhood of God. That's the covenant. That's chapter 2, verse 10. Yeah. We mentioned earlier, have we not all one father? Hath we not one God created us? Why are you dealing so treacherously? He really comes out pretty loud against him. And um, then we have the fourth discussion. And in verse 11, 
chapter 2, verse 11 to 16. And then chapter 2, verse 17 through chapter 3, verse 6. You have wearied the Lord with your words. And they say, Aaron, how have we wearied the Lord? And then he answers, you're doing evil. And you're claiming that it's good. That's our generation. At least that's my community here in Silicon Valley in California. We claim to do good, but actually, if it goes against the commandments of God, it is not good. Yeah. It's really tragic. Well, and he delighteth in them. We we referenced this earlier in other books where you plan all the evil you're going to do at night and wake up and do it Mm -hmm. when it's premeditated and so on, and you glory in it. That's a different thing. Yes. And yes. if you're you're failing because of the uh-huh. weaknesses of the flesh, right? Yeah. And in in chapter three, verse seven, he begins actually the whole section is three, seven through twelve. You've gone away from my ordinances. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I want you to return to me, and I will return to you again. And then they say, How have we gone away? He said, Your tithes and offerings. You know, and to me, that's an answer on how we can return. If we're not, if we're feeling a little distance to the Lord, let's look at our tithes and offerings. Let's look at our donation of our time and our talents and our energies. Are we living the law of consecration? Are we giving everything to God? Are we just his stewards? And Mm. um, it's a beautiful message there on the tithes and offerings in chapter three, verse eight. Do you want to read it? Chapter three, verse eight. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. And, of course, the word tithe is Mm one-tenth, and this is the Jews questioning them and disagreeing, and then Malachi talks about this curse that's going to come if we do not take care of those who who need help. It's beautiful, and I really feel like the law of consecration is everyone working. We're all doing our part. We're all doing the best we can, and we're sharing and sharing alike. Mm. Um, We can live it now. We don't need to wait. It's powerful. And then this last series of disputes starts in chapter 3, verse 13. Your harsh words against me. And Mm -hmm. they answer, what have we spoken against you? And then all the way down through verse 18, he answers, you know, you've said that you're serving God, but it is in vain. And it's interesting. This is where he talks about the book of remembrance which was probably a scroll of remembrance. Do you want to read verse 16 there? Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And the book and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Yep, that's beautiful. And those are the context of the series of disputes. But we also want to go back now and look at... Malachi in light of the restoration. Yeah. And when our Savior came to the saints who were gathered at the temple in Bountiful, about a year after the major destruction, about a year after the Lord's death, we're told that the the disasters happened in the first month and that the Lord then came in the last month. And as he comes, he says, you're missing a few scriptures, and I'd like you to have Malachi chapter 3 and 4. Mm-hmm. And they're found in Third Nephi chapter 24 and 25. And it's interesting the parts of this discussion that he wants them to have. He wants them to have the part about the tithing. And he wants to have them the part about the messenger of the Lord will come. 
Let's read that. I just am thrilled that the Lord has it included in so many different scriptures in the restoration. We've got it even being prophesied to Joseph in the in our in addition to the Book of Mormon. We get it again. You want to read chapter three, verse one? Chapter three, verse one, Malachi three one. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So which messengers do you see here? Uh, my first thought was John the Baptist. Me too. Um, John the Baptist. He came before the Lord. And then yeah. the Lord himself. The Lord himself was my second thought. Yeah. yeah. And then look at it in light of Kirtland Temple. Yeah, every prophet. <laughs> you know, Kirtland Temple is dedicated on that Palm Sunday yeah. And the week of Pentecost with all the great visions and the pillar of fire that came down upon the temple and yeah. purified it as the Lord received it. And then on that Easter Sunday, as the saints gathered again for church in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, filling a thousand people in that tiny little building, we understand that Joseph then seeks a time of prayer, drops a veil, and he receives the great vision that we have now recorded in section 110 where the Lord came again in that temple mm. and his messengers. And Malachi talks even more about those messengers coming. Elijah is one of them. And Moses and Elias were the others. But let's move forward and read about chapter 3, verse 2 and 3 on this great day of the Lord. But who may abide the day of his coming and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in right. You know, that is part of our 10th article of faith. Yeah. And it's, I love this imagery of the purification that the atoning sacrifice can bring and that our Savior will bring when he comes again. And um, it's interesting he uses gold and silver here because I know a little bit about metallurgy, but not, not, not as much as a smith would per se but when it comes out of the ground of course you have to refine it and melt it and there's all these things you got to take off all the dross but how malleable and useful it is when it is purified and also the right things are added back into it is indefinitely more useful and it lasts for especially in the case of gold it lasts for centuries yeah. right if not longer so that refinement especially from the sons of levi it's a beautiful image yeah. for what the Lord's trying to do to us. Yeah. And we're just out of the dirt. I and need... we've got a lot of impurities. And yeah. we need a strong purification. And he uses these imageries of purifying with fire and soap. And yeah. they're beautiful to liken to our hearts. Um, also, I feel like this purification of the sons of Levi is something that the restoration is allowing to apply to a lot more people than just those born from the tribe of Levi and any who are prepared to receive the priesthood who are purified and will offer righteousness, offer their offerings in righteousness. You know, as I watch um, priesthood ordinances in the temple where men and women and at the sacrament table where our young men and baptisms with our missionaries, I feel like as we watch these ordinances taking place, 
we see great sons and daughters of Levi carrying out the work of the Lord mm. in a purified manner, mm. even in white clothing, um, whether it's a white shirt or whether it's a, a full baptismal white. It's a beautiful image. And then yeah. we get again that theme, return unto me and I'll return unto you in verse seven. Let's jump into chapter four with this day of purification that's going to come with the Lord's return, because this is what Moroni quotes yeah. to Joseph Smith. Right. So September 21st, 1823, that first night when Joseph, 17 years old, calls upon the Lord and the Lord answers him with an angelic visitation. And Moroni comes four times in the next yeah. few hours, um, three times at night and one time in the morning where he introduces himself as a messenger, a malake, malachi, mm. you know, a messenger from the presence of God. And Moroni, it says, quoted this a little bit differently. So in our Joseph Smith history, we've got it a little bit differently, you know, but it's helpful to be able to read it side by side and see the differences and what are they. And I love the fact that he quote the fourth chapter almost entirely at the very beginning of the restoration, even though the prophecy that Elijah will come did not happen for over a decade later. It's yeah. 36, so 23 to 36. But that's verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is the week of unleavened bread. And in fact, Passover was the day before when the Jews had their doors opened, hoping to welcome in the return of their Elijah in answer of this prophecy. And then the next day in the Kirtland Temple, we believe that Elijah came. And mm. Joseph's record is clear in Joseph's history. Chapter 1, verses 37 to 39 describes this coming. And it is that sealing keys that he gave that will bind us. Do you want to read verse 6 too? Yeah, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And we are seeing that happening yeah. every day as new family search and ancestry and family history work explodes with a computer. Yeah. And the fulfillment of this is so exact the fact that it would happen on the day, on the week that the Jews were expecting it to happen. Mm. I, I believe it was the second day of the week of unleavened bread, but so perfectly in alignment with God's promises. He will carry things out just beautifully. And then we've got more on this, not only in section two of the Doctrine and Covenants, where the, that history is retold slightly differently, but also, Joseph elaborates on this version in section 128. So, Doctrine and Covenants 128, 17 and 18. And again, in connection with this quotation, I will give you a quotation from one of the prophets who had his eye fixed on the restoration of the priesthood and the glories to be revealed in the last days. And in a special manner, this most glorious of all subjects belonging to the everlasting gospel, namely the baptism for the dead. And then he quotes Malachi, the verses we just said, five and six. Mm. And then in 18, halfway through, it is the baptism for the dead, for we without them cannot be made perfect, neither can they without us be made perfect. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Everything is so... I feel it's fascinating how beautiful the Lord's plan is. You know, everything is reciprocal and everything is tied together. 
and this beautiful prophecy of Elijah that Malachi leaves us, we believe has been fulfilled. And we see this in our modern temple work where we can do vicarious work. And even Paul, the apostle, wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Else what should they do that are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? And we believe that there is opportunities for Elijah's promise of this sealing power to be extended. And it's all so important. And I'm going back and forth a little bit with the verses, but I wanted to end with this important message that it's it's going to happen before the second coming. Yeah. So let's look at these verses that are added in as we read the other sections where it's kept, whether it's Angel Moroni speaking or Section 110 speaking. But I'll just give you some of the extra information that I feel helps us understand better what we can do to prepare for the second coming. When we read the Savior's account of these two chapters in Third Nephi, chapter 25, mm-hmm. Malachi just says, I'll send you Elijah the prophet. Where is in Third Nephi 25, verse 5 and 6, it reads, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah. I think he's talking about the higher priesthood, the sealing power. Yeah. And he, because these people already had their high priest, you know, they had Joshua there serving with them. But what the prophecy is saying is there's going to be another priesthood and is coming through the hand of Elijah, the prophet. And then he adds um, another word or two that's different. Continuing on in our account of Malachi, it reads, he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. But in the third Nephi reference, 25, 6, it says, he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to their fathers. Mm. We can seek just like Abraham did for the promises of the fathers. And we can seek just like our prophet Joseph did for our temple ordinances, that we too can be bound to the Lord, not just conditionally, but if we live worthily, it can be a permanent binding. Mm. And they also add in 3 Nephi that they will turn to the fathers, and then their verse 3 reads, If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. Now, we read in Malachi that, there'll be, that the earth would be smitten with a curse. Right. But this idea, if we do not do our sealing of families and sealing of people so they have a chance to have vicarious work, the whole earth would be wasted because everyone is a sinner. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all need the atoning sacrifice of our Savior. And through our temple covenants, the whole earth is going to be made whole. And it's a fabulous message. This is one reason why the Savior has to wait before he comes until we are ready for him. Yeah. We have to be purified inside. We also need our temple work to a point where those on the other side of the veil can assist in this great work of our Savior's coming. Because we're told they're going to be coming too. They're coming yeah, I, with him. I, I think about the, the word that st- sticks out to me is hearts, mm. right? Because mm-hmm. when my temple worship has been fulfilling and and meaningful, especially with, uh, you know, vicarious work for my relatives or relatives mm-hmm. of a friend, right? Um, that, and you feel the presence a little bit, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Oh, yes. It, the, and you can, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think a little bit more about these promises, and I don't know why it's taken me so long to to kind of get through this, uh, uh, to get to this point. 
but what is what is the promises they're making, right? It's these Abrahamic covenants, it's this baptism, it's effectively this promise to take care of each other and to to be righteous, right? To serve our God. Yeah, to be unselfish and and to 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 lift the burdens of others and to serve, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think about this and, and that's, that is absolutely, this can happen while we're still alive too, right? With my parents, you know, honor your father and mother. And of course, with your children, raise them up in the righteous and the covenant. And, you know, you mentioned the idea of the hearts and that phrase turning of the hearts. Um, It's not in our footnotes, but section 98 also quotes this. Mm. And in verses 17, it says after, so verse 16 says, Seek ye diligently to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to the children. And then verse 17 adds something different. It says, and again, the hearts of the Jews unto the prophets and the prophets unto the Jews. Yeah. Lest I come and smite the whole earth with a curse and all flesh be consumed before me. So that is an exciting addition that we get in the restoration on these verses as well, that the, that the prophets will be able to be heard by the Jews and that the Jews will be able to receive the restoration. One of the largest movements amongst Judaism is Jews for Jesus. And they usually refer to him as Yeshua, you know, because they're speaking Hebrew, but it's a very large growing movement. And I have many friends who are part of that group who are receiving um, Jesus as their savior. It's beautiful. Another place where we talk about these verses in the restoration that I mentioned was section 110. And I want to add the extra verses that are there, not in Malachi. So section 110, verse 14 reads, Behold, the time has fully come, which was spoken of by the mouth of Malachi, testifying that he, and that's referring back to Elijah, that was the verse before, should be sent before the great and dreadful day of the Lord to come. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is just exciting to me that... Our wonderful prophet Malachi is remembered in that text of section 110, as well as section 128, which you already referenced to earlier. Yeah. So we have this beautiful message and we're told that these translated beings came right after um, Joseph had served the sacrament, which is consistent with what we understand about the offerings on the altar. Yeah. However, there is a question that has arisen about these promises purifying the sons of Levi. Does that mean that we will have animal sacrifice again? And I've heard many people quote saying, Joseph Smith said we're having animal sacrifice again. So I looked it up and I wanted to share that with you. This is available in the History of the Church, Volume 4, page 211. Also, if you want the original spelling, go to your Joseph Smith papers and you can um, type in this there. Joseph is preaching a sermon and he says, it's generally supposed that sacrifice was entirely done away with, with the great sacrifice, meaning, of course, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ's life. And he offered it up and that there will be no necessity for that ordinance of sacrifice in the future. But those who assert this are certainly not acquainted with the duties and the privileges and the authority of the priesthood or with the prophets. You know, as I see Malachi saying, you're going through the motions without your heart. What I want yeah. is your heart. And you remember when Jesus comes and he's giving the higher law on the Sermon on the Mount to his disciples, he says, I want a broken heart and contrite spirit. I meant when Jesus comes and he's giving the sermon at the temple, 
-hmm. He says, I don't want any more of your animal sacrifices. I want the sacrifice of your heart. And so as Joseph is saying, let's not misunderstand this. I, he never uses the word animal sacrifice. He talks about the continuing need for sacrifice. Let me continue on. These sacrifices, as well as every ordinance belonging to the priesthood, will, when the temple of the Lord shall be built and the sons of Levi be purified, be fully restored and attended to in all their powerful and ramifications and blessings. This ever did and ever will exist when the powers of the Melchizedek priesthood are sufficiently manifest. And that is where we make more covenants um, in addition to the law of sacrifice, where we... He continues on, else how can the restitution of all things be spoken of by the holy prophets be brought to pass? Those things which existed prior to Moses's day, namely the sacrifice, will be continued. So he never uses the word blood sacrifice. He never uses the word animal sacrifice. But we do know from Malachi and from restored scripture that we are to continue sacrificing. And perhaps the sons of Levi will offer an offering with blood again but I do not, that is not what Joseph said. He just said, we will continue to offer these ordinances, which may mean something different. Um, but I am happy to wait patiently. I am so grateful that we have temples to go to, that we can do work for our ancestors, and they are helping us, I believe, with all my heart, on both sides of the veil, as angels, as messengers of Jehovah. Yeah, there's something magical about reading these words repeated so often about the temple, rereading, you know, through all of these minor prophets, how important the temple was into yes. the restoration and having that link so closely with, you know, uh, prophecies of the Savior and prophecies of the restoration. And the reason why it's important is because the temple is a place where we become closer to God. It's yeah. where we can enter into his presence. It's where heaven and earth meet. And it sounds to me like some ordinances have to be done on earth in order to receive the heavenly blessings. Yeah, absolutely. This is why we need the sealing power. Yeah. Oh, it's been a joy to work with you this year. And I hope that the Old Testament has come more alive to you as it has to me. I certainly believe that it is a witness of Jesus Christ and I'm so grateful for its record. Yeah. Uh, that's what I've noticed too, is I've reread this Old Testament, especially, you know, talking with you about it, about the history and the context, the Savior in, in our three questions, right? The Savior has stood out more than ever, More right? than ever. More than ever. And the lessons from ancient Israel applying to our modern day and the solutions um, have just been um, solidified in my heart. Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. And so we end this year in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.